Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. And we are Cock-A-Hoop. It's finally happened, guys. We can talk about a win on the show I was starting to feel that we're never going to be able to talk about a Whitecaps win ever again. But they've only been and gone and done it. I come from behind, 2-1 victory over the LA Galaxy on Saturday night. We'll be looking at that. We'll be looking around the comings and goings in MLS this week. We'll be chatting some more Whitecap stuff, looking ahead to their next game against Houston. And we'll be talking some Gold Cup as well, as Canada took on the USA today. I'd had a, a couple of Canadian Premier League interviews lined up for this show as well. But with the, the next game coming on Tuesday, we'll bring out a special midweek show and I'll, I'll put those interviews into that. If you're a fan of Pacific FC, you definitely don't want to miss that. But... Let's kick things off the way that we kick off all these shows by the gift that keeps on giving. Steve's 2020 Christmas gift to Zach and myself. It was a box of 2011 Upper Deck Soccer Cards, if you've not been listening to the show before. We're opening a pack a week, putting them all together, picking our best 11, going head to head, all that kind of stuff. Zach has got his helper with him again tonight, his son Kirk. And we'll just get straight to it. We'll, we'll rattle through the cards tonight because we have got a lot to, to get on. And I, I'm aiming for this not to be too long a show because of the, the quick turnaround to the next game. So let's get the packs open. And I don't know if this is a double or not, but I think I have talked about his brother before that I've got in a card He's wearing a Philadelphia Union shirt in the card, but he's with New England Revolution. It's Fred! Terrible name for a footballer. <laughs> uh, I have a, a really... He was a really solid attacking player, striker, forward for the Colorado Rapids, Omar Cummings. He led them in goals one year with 14 and assists another year with 12. Oh, I didn't see that coming. I've got a forward from FC Dallas next. I don't really... He's Colombian. It's Milton Rodriguez. Don't recall him. No, I'm not that familiar with him. Speaking of 12 assists in a season, 
You have this card, Michael. Brad Davis, Houston Dynamo. Oh. Well, the next card. Let, let's cast our minds back to Empire Field. May it rest in peace. It was a fantastic game. One of Steve's all-time favourite Whitecaps games, I think, and one of ours as well. Definitely from 2011. Oh. It's Sporting Kansas yeah. City. It was a three-all game. Echoing around the stadium were cries of traitor traitor it's teal bunbury mm. i think you have him but i don't yeah i thought i might already have him i don't think i have this guy but i'm pretty sure you do have you do it's from the original one of the original 96ers uh andy Eero from the columbus crew he's not original but the columbus crew obviously i'm looking out for an Eero. i i've got a bit of history next you know how a lot of players their rookie cards go for a lot of money? We've talked about Alex Morgan and her rookie card that we've we've got in these packs. Well, this is probably not going to be the case for this guy because he stunk the joint out, really. It was the Whitecaps' first ever draft pick. Omar Salgado! Whoa. Not no, making I... my starting 11. Or the Whitecaps. I have uh, also a former white cap, but he's one of those uh, awkward former white caps in that he never played for them. It's a 2010 expansion draft pick and broadcaster with, I don't know, ESPN, Fox, one of them, Alejandro Moreno. Oh. It's him in his uh, Philadelphia Union kit, but his uh, it's his GOATS card where the white caps sent him after selecting Dude. him up. Yeah, they some of the cheapest, right? Yeah, right. yeah. It was not a great expansion draft from the the Whitecaps, setting well, the tone for future drafts. It's ever Niassi. Well, yes, obviously. I mean, that's the the gift that keeps on giving. Well, I've got a guy. He's wearing a Kansas City Wizards jersey, but it's sporting Kansas City. But I think of him more as a Montreal Impact player. Davy Arnault. Oh yeah, nice. I have uh, a guy who's wearing a Columbus kit, but it's his Galaxy card, fullback Frankie Hayduke. Oh, well, my last card, Columbus Crew. I think he may be the cousin to Al Ocation. It's Danny O'Rourke. Oh, nice. <laughs> I have a striker who's played at various levels in the American soccer pyramid. Um, I think he starred most recently with Sacramento Republic. It's striker and goat, Justin Braun. Ah. So I still, I'm pretty sure I still do not have a double. I've got possibly one, maybe two in that pack. So I think I've got Teal Bunbury and I might have Fred as well, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. But that's the cards out of the way. Let's get to the football chat now because we have got a lot to get through. And it's been a, it's been a pretty good week, guys, that the Whitecaps won. Canada have qualified for the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. Derek Cornelius, we talked about in last week's show, has gone off to pastures new. Sadly, we have not signed Messi. He has extended his deal at Barcelona, so that dream has died. But the best bit of news this week is I picked up a bargain. And as you know, I love my bargains. It's an England stationery pack. So it's got like a, a pencil case in it, some pencils, 
uh, a ruler. It's all branded with the English national team. And I got it cheap because it's not complete. There's three pens missing. <laughs> You're trying to offend your, uh, the English listeners? But no, we are going to talk Whitecaps in this first part because, as I mentioned to kick off the show, the winless streak is over. They didn't do it the easy way. Another early goal given up, but another lacklustre first half performance. In reality, they were lucky to just go into the break one goal down, but they made the most of that. They came back out as a different looking team in the second half again, fought back, took the lead. The ghosts of stoppage time passed, did not come back to haunt them this time though, and they held on for a 2-1 victory, three massive points that moved them off the bottom of the Western Conference standings, so pluses all round. Just some quick overall thoughts, guys, on the match and the, the overall performance, Steve. Um, uh, again, don't know what's going on in that first half. Oh. Um, it seems like it's just like uh, copy and paste every time. Yeah. Uh, my alerts didn't go off at all in the first half for the white caps. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, overall, is yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I wish there was something that they would be able to reveal what's going on. Maybe they'll reveal it after the season's over or something like that. They've no idea. But something's in their head now. Yeah, this, at this point, I think it's a psychological or mental uh, that they're that it's just they're not able to get over this first half and figure out what's going on, or teams are seeing that seeing the pattern themselves, other the opposition, and they're attacking the Whitecaps, and the Whitecaps don't know what to do. So I don't I don't know which way it's going. I, I don't honestly I it's very it's very it must be frustrating to them, but it's clearly frustrating to everybody watching too because everybody can see it every week. Two, two things, which uh, I think other people have talked about as well, but I know we were talking about during the game. Uh, you think MDS would just go in like for the pregame talk and say, okay, look, we didn't have a great fort first 45 minutes. We're down yeah, a yeah. goal. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> like, just switch, switch, like, I think, uh, you know, switch it like, like we were talking in the chat, just switch, switch your, your, your team talk to, 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 for the game, I mean, but he, he keeps saying awkward. that they're so up for it, and they've had good training weeks, and they're all up for it in the locker room before the game. And then he, he's no idea why I, they're yeah. coming out this flat. I, I don't doubt any of that, but something's not working well. But the other thing that I've, I've heard some people talk about around this is that at least it seems like potentially, um, and maybe this is one of only maybe one or two, maybe three games where this has happened where maybe what's happening is the fact that they are able to do better in the second half is maybe due to the being able to play in Salt Lake so much and be used to it. And, and Possibly are, with the altitude taking yeah. effect. and Yeah. The other because they're going to be so fit. Yeah. Yeah. More spent at halftime or into the That's second That's an interesting... I, I'll raise that idea, actually, with Mark when, when we speak during the week. Um, yeah. I'll... I'll, I'll I'll revisit that in, in a but sec. But they have played well on the road too in the past. Like in the road as well. Yes. It's the same issue though. And well, yeah. So it's not just home games, it's road games as well. The, so. the thing is, like in this game, they were lucky to go in one goal down. So if they're going in one goal down, if they're going in level and they can perform like that, great. If you come up against a team 
Real Salt Lake, Sporting Kansas City, that actually take their chances. You've got no way of coming back in these games. And that's the, the worrying thing. You, the other team can be out of sight by halftime. And they were fortunate in this one that the Galaxy, the Galaxy were terrible in the second half. It, for, for as bad as the Whitecaps were in the first half, the Galaxy were equally as bad in, in the second. They were missing six players as well through a mixture of injury and international call-ups. Chicharito was missing. So, I mean, going into this game, I did feel that this was a chance that the Whitecaps could get something from it. I wasn't overly optimistic, but on paper, it looked like the kind of game they could get something from. And that when the lineup came out, there was there was two changes. And Michael Baldissimo came in because Kaya Alejandri had a tight abductor. And then the other change was what was the other change? Oh, Ranko Veselinovich came in for Andy Rose in the middle of the back line. I was a little bit surprised that they finally went with that change. I don't know. I I just thought there might be some more changes because y- you've gone with the same lineup. You've tried the same stuff. It hasn't been working. Surely you wanted to mix it up a little bit more. But I, I guess it, it was right just to make the changes that he did do, considering as well that we're in a, a period where it's five games over 15 days. So everyone is going to see some time on the pitch, you feel. Yeah, but the thing is, you say, though, uh, I just want to go back to your other point, the LA Galaxy missing six players. The Whitecaps were missing five players. Uh, you got Cavallini, Crepo, you got Gaspar, you got Ali Adnan, who never showed up in the first place, <laughs> and you got the number 10 that was supposed to promise to us at the beginning <laughs> of the year. So that's five players yeah, right now missing. That's, the true. That's, a, that's, a, that's a fair way of looking at it. Yeah, but uh, overall, I agree with you that the, uh, the the Galaxy, once they got that first goal, and they, they almost scored a second. Well, it wasn't. It was offside, clearly offside, so it yeah. wasn't even close. Uh, but, um, yeah, they had their chances, but they weren't overly dangerous in that first half either to get it that was, second goal. It, it was so close to being a goal that you needed to spend like two, three, four, five minutes to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, let, let's look at the goal that put LA 1-0 up then. Rayon Ravelosson. Rayon Ravelosson. Something along those lines anyway. Double R. Let's go with double R. Headed home, got goal side of Christian Gutierrez. I mean, he did everything right. Gutierrez, we were talking about in, the, in our chat, picked up the right man, just unfortunately let him get the wrong side of him. But I mean, the big talking point in this goal was Victor Vasquez had all the time in the world. Brandy in one hand, cigarette in the other, time to read the paper, and then delivered the perfect cross. And Steve shared a fantastic photo in our WhatsApp group, literally... Steve, ball watching. Yeah, not me, but uh, the uh, uh, it was Brown, right? Brown yeah, was Javain on the Brown ball. just staring, staring down at the at, ball, staring at the ball and not moving at all. It's like uh, and he, and it was that wasn't that I was I, I would want to reiterate that was a picture, not the video. Even though in the video he was basically in that position for a good two three seconds and not moving. Yeah, Gervain Gervain's done really well to displace Jake Nowitzki at right back and and be the person, you know, who's playing when Gaspar has been injured. Yeah, but, and Mark said uh, during the week that it, it's his position to lose now. Yeah, so, but that play was, I think, something that when they watch film this week that they'll, yeah. they'll, be, they'll be looking very closely at. But in, in the build-up to the game, Mark had talked about the importance of shutting down the crossers and not letting those crosses get in. 
Well, five with, minutes it took for them to unravel with that. And with such a depleted side, the importance of Vasquez for the galaxy was, you know, augmented was was heightened, and so he was the one key man you needed to to mark well, to mark tightly, to not give time, to not give space to, and yeah, they, that didn't happen, and he created a goal right away. And I'm sure that in the scouting report that they mentioned that Vasquez is not known to be a dribbler. He's more of a crosser. Yeah. He's not going to get by you or anything like that. So it, it, she should have been closed down a lot sooner on that one. I mean, great quality from Vasquez. I mean, we've got to give him yeah. the credit as well. I mean, that, well, that's the that kind much, of guy we When you have desire. that much time, you're yeah. when you have that much time, basically it's like you're in training, essentially. <laughs> yeah, he must have been like, oh, I'm not going to get an easier thing than this. In 27th minute was that disallowed goal. Ethan Zubak had the ball in the back of the net. Right away, it was clear that it was offside. And I genuinely do not know how it took that long for them to come up with a decision. I don't know whether they were yeah. trying to see if it had taken a slight deflection on the way through, but it was clear and obvious within seconds. Yeah, and the thing is, the linesmen in this game just did not trust themselves at all because that was not uh, the only time when they but, did not call an offside and just let it go. But that's I know you're supposed to let it yeah. go. No, no, it's you're so, supposed to let it go. But when it's that, when it's the, when it's that obvious that it's it's an offside, they should be calling it. You don't like oh maybe that was a little close, but there was that one that right at the end of the game where uh, 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 the player or near the end of the game I can't remember where it was, but um, Hassal actually got injured, and it was clear yes. that he was offside by a couple of yards. So you got to call those ones and just. Cut, cut, the game at that point that's a good point steve that's a really good point yeah because especially in the, your your example from later in the game you're you're not calling it is creating a situation where players could you know be injured and come into to harm's way i i, I just hate yeah i'm sure the keep, rule. yeah keepers get the phantom saves we we coined that in the whatsapp yeah. chat uh phantom saves when you see because great i mean you make a great save off offside that's going to come later but uh the uh, um but it's still, yeah, and it makes it a little exciting, but, you know, it, it does, can cause injuries. And it can cause, a, um, you know, unnecessary wear and tear on a player. And I've mentioned this before. The thing that frustrates me with it is, it could have been offside in the build-up and it's not given. And then it's not a goal, but the team wins a corner. Or they keep the pressure yeah, on. Exactly. But it's never called back because the play's moved on from that point. And that's something that frustrates me. Just let the linesmen do their job and put their flags up. It's one of the modern day things that I'm really, really hating. I, I like VAR in theory when it's properly used. And I, I know in MLS they're wanting the referees to have the final decision, which is why it took so long. You've got to call the referee over to look at it. But something as clear and obvious as that Offside is a is a yes or no. It's not a judgment call by the referee. So for offside, someone surely can be able to be sitting there and going, no, nope, that was definitely offside. And they did that in the Euros too. Yeah, the Euros, and it the worked referee to perfection. Not, and yeah, they didn't go to the monitor every time. The thing is with the offside, the problem with MLS is they don't have they don't have good camera angles. Their mm -hmm. camera angles are not that great, and so some of them do look offside to somebody, and it might not look. Outside to another person, it's weird. That's that's why if you, I feel like a number of years ago they changed the cameras in in the thing in in stadiums like around the world a little bit their positioning or their the the way they position the actual camera because I like I don't know in the nineties I felt like 
every camera angle, every stadium had like a perfect camera in place and like every offside was like really easy to see. And, and, and now I think that's changed and I might be wrong. It might be age. Might, I might be going crazy, but the thing that can help with that is the thing we've discussed a number of times in the past is the lines is adding the lines for, for VAR. And if not for, you know, every play or all whatever, but like the guys in the, in the VAR booth should be able to, to have that to help them. Like if the camera angles are crap, Steve, like you're saying, they should be able to have some kind of assistance to make that d distinguishable. So you heard yeah. it here first. Zach is all for football lines on pitches played on gridiron fields. So <laughs> I'm surprised by that decision, but I mean, th there we go. I mean, the only other action in the first half, Samuel Grancier crashed one off the bar. I mean, going in at half time, I did not see the Whitecaps turning it around. They, they just, they showed nothing. There was... They maybe had a little bit more possession to end the half, but that was it. We've discussed, we don't know what's up with these first half performances, but three minutes in at the second half, they're back on level terms. Diver Caicedo. Now, it was poor by Jonathan Bond. Javain Brown sends the ball in. It was a kind of, it was a nothing ball, really. Uh, it was, it had some oof on it. it was I think like, it, was, it, was, it was going for white, but... Yeah, but but no, there was some pace on that ball, so he wasn't able to fully direct it, um, clear uh, clear of the net. But he got it as far as Casino. But still, uh, he should have got some help from the defenders to block the, the shot. Even with the oomph, Steve, uh, it's uh, yeah uh, for a keeper that's like that's inexcusable though, right? Yeah, I mean you, it, it you is pushed but, it straight to the the guy. It's like... it was more if you look at the replay, and I looked at it again. He it was more into his body, so it's it's hard to push out from. Uh. Uh, into the body, so there might be a little bit. I I still think that he should have got it further out, but it wasn't hundred percent his fault. Yeah, but I I mean I was really happy for Gervain that as much as he played a, a role in the goal conceded, he also played a, yeah. a a role in the goal that was scored in the or the equalizer. Aside from that mistake, five minutes in, he was again one of the best players on the pitch. Him and Bikel are consistently two of the best Whitecaps week in week out. I don't think many folk would have thought that no. even a couple of weeks ago. And they've also been like two of the best right backs in Vancouver this year. <laughs> yeah, I, ironically, sure. yes. So, I mean, after, after that that goal, uh, the Whitecaps had, they were the better team by far. They had yeah. more of the, the possession, more of the play. And it wasn't really a surprise when they took the lead. 77th minute, Christian Dahomey, a great, fast break forward the LA defence though, I mean, if that was the Whitecaps defence, we would be calling them everything under the sun. So, I mean, it starts, Caicedo's the guy that, that's got the break. He's got White to the left of him, Dahomey to the right, plays the ball to Dahomey, Dahomey can't get the shot off, plays a, a, a pass to White. Three Galaxy players go towards White, a couple of them go to ground. White uses great skill and football IQ to be like, Okay, I'll just pass it back to Christian. Patience and Christian's part buries it. Great goal from the Whitecaps. Great team goal. I, one of my favourite Whitecaps goals, I think, of the season. But from a Galaxy defence point of view, that was shocking. Schoolboy stuff. Yeah, and, and the thing is, the other, the other thing that's damning as well is Sasha Kleshton was be standing behind uh, Dahomey and did not make any effort to mm. you know rush him or do anything like that. So a little bit damning on him too. Uh, I agree with you. Like, 
if just one had stayed with the homie, I don't know if that goal goes in. Yeah, I don't think it all would. Th- all three would uh, obviously follow the path of the ball, including you could say four because the goalkeeper is obviously going to follow the path as yeah. well. So when you have a goalkeeper at, at, at the angle, you got to be able to pick and choose who's going to go. I, I, I think it's, I think they just all panicked. Yeah, it was re- really poor defending, but ultimately great patience from Dahomey and White. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. Sometimes horrible defending makes you look really an intelligent footballer, but I think I think they did really I think they did really well. I agree yeah, with you, Steve, that Sasha Kleshtan is really looking a, a shadow of his former self, and yeah. I, I'm a little surprised that um, Vanny hasn't been able to get more out of him. But this was the this was the ideal game for him to shine. Holy Chicharito beating away, it's like he's the guy you would expect to possibly step up, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it was poor by the, in the second half from the Galaxy. I, I felt comfortable that the Whitecaps would hold on. And of course, as we talked about, and as I mentioned to Mark after the last game, the best form of defence in the later stages of the game is to attack and get it out of your half. Get the pressure off the defence. And they tried. White had a great effort that was tipped over. Bond came up with a great save there. And stoppage time, Dahomey had a quick breakaway. Probably should have finished that, but pulled it wide of the the left post. Oh, that was Thomas that was a Mueller. bad miss. That was Thomas Muller versus England esque. Mm. Uh, oh, don't remind me of that horrific moment. Yeah, but then I wouldn't have had the joy of watching them lose a final penalty shootout, which in many uh, ways was is, better than them. This is true. Going out early. Yeah, but yeah, they, I mean Vancouver should should have gotten should have gotten a, a third goal, I think. Yeah. Um, and would have made my match prediction at least the score right, if not the right teams. But, but uh, I got the right score, I guess. <laughs> I, I felt uh, as soon as the the as soon as the time came up for stoppage time, time to, to be added, I I wasn't I didn't feel the, the ghost quite as big. No, and part of it was due to the amount four of four minutes is nice, yeah. even though he played five, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I helped. I helped. I helped tracking of the time for you guys. That is true, yes. It's a, it's a great system you've got. But they held on. Three vital points. We're happy. The players were happy. Clearly, Mark DeSantis was happy after the game. Let's just hear a little bit now, post-game, from the gaffer. Hey, Mark. Congratulations on the, the win tonight. I'm sure it's a, a mixture of joy and, and relief uh, at getting that win in the books. Can you tell us what you saw from your team in that game? Another game, you went down early, but the heads didn't go down. You fought back so well in the second half and you've come away with the three points. I've been very uh, impressed. You know, today we, we the average age of our team was 23.9, 24 years old, right? Uh, and I, I've been very impressed with the environment in the locker room in a very difficult moment. So it's it's hard to to be in our situation and without being eight games without winning, it's difficult and it's very easy for stories to come out and guys crying and and I've been very impressed with the mindset overall. We always stayed in course. The reality is that in this league, you win two or three games in a row and so many things change. Even with the run that we had right now, we're three points behind that line. 
you know, so things change very quickly. And this is why it's very important for you to to always focus on the big picture and the it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and it's very important that you focus on that. And we spoke a, a lot about that this week. We spoke uh, about, you know, when once we go home to Vancouver, we have to go home in a position that we're fighting for playoffs to give hope to fans, to media, to everybody, to follow the team, keep pushing. Um, at halftime, in the beginning of the game, we conceded that goal at the fourth minute. I was very disappointed at how... Uh, we closed down the cross and we we spoke about it at, at halftime. We can give a guy like Vasquez 55 seconds, a minute in the box to think and put that ball in. So that was very disappointing. But we believe in, uh, the guys believe in each other and believe that we could have turned the t turned things around. So um, well, the, our pressure in the first half was not very good because uh, in a 4-3-3, our number six and our number eights played very far from each other. So you had the number Baldi holding, but the two Bikel and Rusty very high. So there was players popping between Rusty and Bikel, uh, creating those th that number and coming out uh, when we pressed. But then we adjusted that pressure at halftime. We played more with a flat midfield with the three. Um, we kept pressing, you know, as much as we could to to get the first goal. And we said that what we needed from the game is the first goal. We felt in the first half there was some openings that were showing up. We didn't have, you know, big, big chances, but we were getting in dangerous spots. And we felt maybe with um, with us doing a good job keeping the ball and continuing pressuring, uh, we would find more opportunities. And it had to be one goal at a time. We did that. And I think overall with the game we played, with the the passion, the commitment, a group that doesn't put the, their head down, keep fighting, um, we deserve fully the three points tonight. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A lot of what I was going to ask, you've kind of covered there in that first question, but a lot of positives to take from that second half and the way that the team came out in the second half. And I don't want to, like, bang this to death, but first half again, it's, like, fortunate, maybe, to just go in one goal down, but it gave you the ability to turn that around. But what is the difference between this team in first half and second half? We're trying to to figure it out. We're honestly, I think, you know, this is a question related to soccer. It's not a general question. Your question is a fact, you know. Uh, and the fact is that we we have to find a solution. We feel we felt the week of work was very good. I actually spoke about it in the uh, in the media and even yesterday. Uh, the week of work gave us confidence. Uh, we shared videos with the players that 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 were encouraging and motivational, and we were ready for the game. We were ready for the game. Then we have to to figure this out as a group, uh, and it's easier to to work on things like that when you win because the mindset is much better. Um, and we we have to find a way. I agree with you, but there's no there's no real answer apart from we have to find a way of coming in and us setting the tone uh, because they get that goal as uh, at the fourth minute that 
is incredibly passive. I'll speak with my staff. Should we review a couple of things during the warm-up? Um, should we do something right before the kickoff? You know, we have to try to find solutions because what you talk about is a fact. But then there's the other side of it that we're always able to adjust things at half. We, we came out and scored early in the first half, have a strong mentality to, to turn things around. I told the, the guys that if we turned it around in Dallas and Seattle, we're able to turn it around there. So, you know, the mindset is good. The mindset is good and we need to keep going. Mark DeSantis there, pleased with the performance. It, it was much needed, and it's it's a relief. It's a mixture of relief. It's a mixture of joy. I'm pleased for Mark DeSantis. He he deserves to get a little bit of the pressure taken off him, and I genuinely thought that he might go after that that loss to RSL. I think a lot of clubs would have pulled the the trigger on him. Eight-game losing streak, really poor performance. But the the general feeling from what I can garner is they want to get him to bring the team back, see how they do with the new additions and give him that chance because it's been a hellish two seasons for him. And I, I'm just delighted for him. We'll talk a little bit more about that and a little bit more of the Whitecaps after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month for July here at AFTN from Edinburgh, Scotland. Goodbye, Mr. McKenzie. And that was a, a B-side to their 1989 single, The Rattler, that we played in the, the first of their songs that, that we played of them this month. That was Here Comes Deacon Brodie. Do either of you guys know who Deacon Brody is? No clue. Uh, sounds vaguely familiar, but no. Deacon Brody is the man that is believed to have given the inspiration to Robert Louis Stevenson for Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, 
because oh. he had a double life. Deacon Brody was a cabinet maker and kind of carpenter, and he's also a, a city councillor in Edinburgh in the late 1700s. He led this double life where by day, during the day, he was a respectable businessman and he dealt with all these well-off clients and made cabinets for them and other pieces of furniture. But by night, he would go around and rob these people, partly to fund his gambling habit, but also just for, for the thrill of it all. So he had this secret double life, the two sides to him, which is why Robert Louis Stevenson thought ideal kind of basis, ideal premise for Jekyll and Hyde. And he was caught. And ironically, he had designed a, a new kind of noose and hanging device. And he was hung by his own device that he had designed. So, as the song goes there, hung by his own design. He was also a locksmith as well, which is the... Which is how he had the access to to their things. There's a a pub in Edinburgh, Deacon Brody. There's a lot of pubs named after infamous figures in Edinburgh. If you ever get a chance to go to Edinburgh, they do some really good, like... They do ghost tours and they do tours of, like, unsavoury characters and all this stuff. It's It's a lot of fun. But yeah, that was Goodbye Mr. McKenzie, Jekyll and Hyde, and let's be honest, the Whitecaps, pretty much every match, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Bad in the first half, good in the second. Let's hope we get a a few more Dr. Jekylls coming up in, in the games to come, because the games are coming thick and fast, and they've got another game coming up on Tuesday. Five games in the space of 15 days. Now... At the end of the first half and at halftime, I thought I was going to be digging out our old segment of He's an Angry Bastard because I was fuming at halftime. And in particular, it was the midfield, which for me lacked any punch in that first half. I I like Bikel. I like what he's bringing. I like Baldy. Russell Tiber, he's good to come in when you need him. He's not an MLS starter for me. When you've got those three guys as your midfield, right away you're thinking, the creativity is not really there and neither is the attack-mindedness that the the team is needing. It's clearly they're looking to defend. Then you go a goal down five minutes in, Steve, and they've not got the skill set to get things going in the attack. Yeah, uh, but the one thing is I do want to mention, I agree with you, in the first half it was nothing there, but in that second half... The one player I do want to mention uh, uh, was Russell Russell Tybert. I thought there were moments, not he didn't do any finishing, but there were moments when he did some stuff to disrupt the team. Um, there was one point in the first half where he made a great uh, tackle on a player and got the ball to Diver, and but Diver shot it well wide, mm-hmm. kind of curling shot to the far post. But I agree with you on the whole. Um, this this is not a midfield that's really going to do anything for you. Obviously. Uh, you you mentioned before, Caicedo was um, uh, not a Caicedo. Uh, Alessandre was dealing with a, a rib a doctor, injury or something. Yeah. yeah, a doctor, and so there was some limitation there. So it's really the three people you have. But but it, yeah, it, I going forward, if this is the midfield that they have, it's not going to be good enough. No, I mean it's it's good to have defensiveness in there, Zach. But you need a bit more, and hopefully it's coming because Pedro Viti. Looks like he was saying his farewells to Independiente today. Uh, Ryan Gold. 
hopefully is still close to coming. I mean, everything is pointing that he has signed and they're just like dotting the I's, crossing the T's, hoping for Renzi go away with their we have him on a one-year option thing. We need these guys ASAP and the problem is they might be quarantined depending on if they're flying into Canada or if they're flying into the US. But no matter what, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get up to speed. And it's time the Whitecaps don't have. No, you're right. They they need additions, they need quality, and they need it ASAP. The one thing I found interesting about the, if I can just talk about the midfield, go back to the midfield for a moment, Michael, is, mm. is what MDS talked about in his post game about how in the first half, he said Baldi and I think Bikel were the six and the eight, which... First off, does that mean Rusty was the ten? Because that that is his preferred position from his younger days. But anyways, he, he nine and about, three quarters. Right there, you go. Um, he talked about how they were playing. Uh, I think with maybe Rusty in front of them more, and then and then at halftime, the adjustment they made was to make them more uh, in a in a flat a flat straight line um, because that helped them win the battles in midfield better than than how they approached in the half, which I think was like a two and a one. Um, Kind of thing. So that that's one of the things that I think you, the coaching staff needs to be applauded for. I mean, it's not just motivation and rah 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 at halftime. It's also their tactical adjustments, which yeah. ultimately vastly impacted the game. But going back to the additions, like yeah, they they need quality. They need players who I think also are a little bit more different. I think Caillou, whether it's you know uh, niggly injuries or whatever, uh, hasn't quite been at the level that I think we all thought he was yeah. or, or, or whatever, or, or maybe it's just taking him time to settle and adjust and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, they need, if both these midfielders who are uh, supposed to come in, do come in, it'll be, even if they have to wait a couple of weeks for quarantine, it'll they, be, I, they're going to be greeted with hugely open arms and they're going to be, I think one or both slotted into the team like ASAP. The, the danger with that, though, is the season could be beyond them. I mean, the, the, the important thing and the, that Mark's talked about, some of the other guys have talked about, and just some kind of off-the-record, just general chats we've been having with folk, they want to bring this team back still in with a realistic chance of making the playoffs so that the fans have something to actually get excited about as opposed to just being, oh, we're back we're able to see stuff now right now that win on Saturday was crucial they're four points back from the playoff spots but you look at the standings and we'll cover this a bit more in the next part but the the top five are kind of pulling away a little bit because the difference between the white caps and fifth place is currently nine points that's a lot to try and make up so you're maybe only looking at the sixth, the sixth and seventh spots, playoff spots, as being attainable goals. So you've got a whole lot of the season to go and maybe only two spots that you're playing for. Now, obviously, couple, string a few runs together and you suddenly move up the table and it might not look so bad. But string a few defeats together with this spell that's coming up and there's some tough games coming up. They could be out of it, depending on when they do get back to Vancouver and We'll, we'll come to that shortly as well. I want to ask you about Brian White. I had very high hopes for him. And he, let's be honest, he hasn't been great so far. I haven't given up on him at all. I th I, he's got skills and I think he's just finding his feet. 
still hasn't even seen Vancouver yet, never mind anything else. But this was a, talking about Jekyll and Hyde. I didn't think he was very good in the first half, but I thought he, he linked up so well with the two Colombians in the second half. Yeah, and that might have to do with the midfield too. When you make adjustments yeah. to the midfield and it helps with it going forward. He, I think he had a chance, after, almost made it three goals. Or yeah, that one that was tipped 80, over, yeah. 80th minute, it was a good strike. And so I, I think I think it's just a matter of, of, of working through, uh, getting used to this team, getting used to the system. And once they have a system that they play in game in and game out, I think he would be beneficial. I don't think he's a starter. I think he's definitely the backup. I think Cavallini is definitely the starter. So I wouldn't put that many expectations on him, but um, he can do a job. If he can produce a goal or two here and there while Cavallini's still away, I think that'll be just a, just worth worth the money they spent on him. I, I, like I said in the chat as we were watching the game and, and talking about it together, I he's he feels so far like the kind of player that might be invisible for... 89 minutes and then pop up and score yeah and that's and that's how he he contributes now in this game he obviously he didn't score but he set up the goal yeah and so as much as there aren't as many indicators as maybe we, people would like i think there are enough encouraging signs uh for him to you know to to see what he adds and see what he brings and to see uh how like see his role in the team and i, and I think there's no one else in the team who's going to take that spot while Cava's gone, right? So I don't. Well, think... I don't know because there is all these games coming up, and there's going to be rotation. Do you think so... Thompson's is finally going to get to start? I don't know. Mark's talked about Theo Bear that Theo has shown well the last few weeks in training. He's really worked hard, and he he's basically indicated that he'll get a start in one of these next couple of games that's coming up. So I I don't know. Do you start him against LAFC? which is maybe a game that you haven't got a lot of chance of winning, let's be honest. Or do you start them against Houston, which is a game that you definitely could win? I I, I would maybe, if White's good to go, I'd keep White in for Houston. Let's... I would I, I, I would put him up against LAFC. I think you're right there. They're a team that doesn't defend well against people that run at them. Yeah. And I think Theo Bear runs at players. Uh, that will run at that back line really well. Because that is a defence that we've talked about it a lot is very susceptible to to stuff, yeah. and we'll cover it in the next part. Because the game that the, the goal that they gave up to RSL this weekend should be the blueprint for for the Whitecaps as to to how to play against them. But Houston is next Tuesday night. Such a quick turnaround. But it's because RSL are at home on the Wednesday. Not ideal scheduling-wise. We were talking before we were recording. It's, you, I thought they'd have done something better for, for this. Houston are ninth in the West. 15 points from 13 games. So the three points are ahead of the Whitecaps. The Whitecaps can win. They'll be level on points with Houston. Three wins, four losses, six draws. They're yet to win away from home this season. They've got four losses and three draws. They're currently winless in six games as well. They didn't play this weekend, so they are coming into this fresh. Their last win was against Vancouver. Do you think there's anything that's been said, Steve, that might get pinned up on the, the dressing room board by Tim Park and co? No, I don't think so. I think we'll keep... There's not enough time, first of all, to say anything. Let's be nice uh, about them, just in case they're listening to the show. 
Um, uh, but the thing is, you could say they're fresh, but you could also say they're rusty uh, because they didn't play the week before that either. So uh, mm. they might be out of, they might not be in form or whatever too. And they're missing a, again a number of players that way at the Gold Cup. So yeah, five all together. Yeah. So I, 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 I think there is a chance for, although it, like you said, it is a short turnaround, but sometimes when you're, when you win a game like that, you want to play as soon as possible. You don't want to sit around. Um, so maybe a quick turnaround does benefit Vancouver. The thing is, Zach, you look at who they're missing and it's some big, big key players for them. Midfielder, Darren Seren, he's away with El Salvador. Maynard Figueroa, the defender, and Boniette Garcia, the midfielders, away with Honduras. Ariel Lassiter's away with Costa Rica. And Tyler Pasher, of course, is away with Canada. That That's big shoes to fill. This does feel like another game that the Whitecaps can build on what they've now done on Saturday and take it into this game. They, they have to start getting wins on the board. And you look at some of the tough fixtures coming up, this is definitely one that you've got to circle as a potential three-pointer. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Michael. Uh, there are a number of reasons why Vancouver would, want, would think that. I think the, the, the traveling record of Houston, which is not um, uh, a one-year phenomenon. Uh, I, I know that they haven't traveled well in, yeah. in previous years, or at least previous recent years. Uh, the number of players away at the Gold Cup is 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 uh, got to be very concerning for Tab Ramos and his staff, but um, I think we didn't talk about when we talk about the Vancouver game. I think Vancouver full credit them for the win, and you can only beat who's in front of you. But I, I oh, I, actually, I, I think this is you're right. I think this could be a game where they uh, are coming upon a team at the right time. And I think uh, I think this is actually one that I think Vancouver will either get one or three points from. And I think the, just the state of where Houston's at, and the, I know obviously Vancouver is missing people, including the, the interesting people missing that Steve mentioned earlier, the, the non never been here people that are missing. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is a game that stacks up well for Vancouver, except for Mark himself did say in the post game, you know. Houston didn't have to play this week, and therefore they should be a little bit fresher. Yeah, that, that's the only thing that might maybe balance. I think it out a little bit, but again, the altitude, you know, might might play play a factor and might help them out as well. Rotation wise, it, it's tough to see who you would bring in. Up front, I like that front three. They were just starting to click in that second half. I kind of want to build in that if they've still got something left in the tank obviously playing at altitude is going to take a lot out of you now we didn't touch too much on this but Ranko obviously came back into partner Godoy I quite liked how they went I mean they played well towards the end of last season then it was weirdly changed I think you've got to give the two of them a run now there was a lot encouraging about that partnership obviously the goal wasn't great even for them but uh, it was, I think, a step in the right direction. And like we've talked about several times, I think they need to be given time together, not one start here and then switch it up and then come back to them later. I think yeah. they need to have a run of games together. I'd like to see maybe Andy Rose brought into the midfield, Steve. Yeah, if you want to put a holding midfielder, like it almost be like a faux three-man back, mm. um, you could do that. And then you could run the wings up the field. Um, yeah. Gutierrez and Brown up the um, up their wings, 
and and that could be that could work and then you don't have to necessarily deal with the uh over you could bring more Dahomey and, and Diver Casido into the middle and kind of overload that midfield. So it is it is a chance you could it's something you could do. And if you want, even you can even put maybe White on the bench and play Dahomey and Diver as a two man striking force, and then play extra midfielders in the. In yeah. There. So that's it's uh, there's there's definitely options if they do that with Rose in the midfield. That doesn't that seem too drastic? I, I don't disagree with you. That'd be interesting and, and exciting and different. Doesn't that seem too drastic and like for, for MDS? Yeah, like and <laughs> but, not, that, not that his conservatism but, is is a bad thing, but but my my only thing is sometimes you have to do drastic things yeah. to catch the other team off guard. Like oh yeah, because they wouldn't be expecting it. They will not be expecting that. So you know sometimes you have to have. And I'm 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 saying they should have. If they I'll only do this if they practice or something like this. But if you bring Rose into the midfield, have those kind of options available, and you don't have to line up like that. But when you're attacking. Uh, maybe maybe screw around with it and, and move people around in the, in the attack so that they're not expecting where they're coming from. So uh, it's something definitely to think of. Yeah, I mean, we don't score many in the first half or play well anyway. So, I mean, just start off with the team you don't really want and then bring the guys you do want on for, for the second half. I, I do feel confident for this. I'm actually going to go with 2-0 Whitecaps. I will go. Uh, I saw uh, recently a stat where the, their last win, Houston's last win, came... In 2016 at Rio Tinto Stadium. Oh, really? Um, so I will go two two. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm going to go two one Vancouver. Ooh. So we've all. That's never a good sign. That's going to be a three 0 Houston. Oh, win. Okay, fine. I'll I'll change it three 0 Houston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the big question is, could this be the last game? that the Whitecaps actually play in Salt Lake as the home team. Because we'll talk in the next part, TFC and Montreal both came home. Vancouver, not yet. And I got a little bit of a background. I was kind of just like, just trying to get my head around why they were and, and some stuff like that. So basically, because of all the, the partners and the stakeholders and everything that's involved with, with the Whitecaps... They had to make a decision about their July schedule by the end of May as to where they were playing. And with the border being closed and they didn't know what was happening with that, they definitely had committed to being at Rio Tinto for the 17th and the 21st. Now, they're due back on the 20... Well, they're not due back. Their next home game is on the 28th. That is still under discussion as to whether it will be in Utah or whether they might actually come home for that. Because they then have back-to-back home games as well because they play a couple of days later as well at the weekend. So, fingers crossed. I thought it was going to be August 21st that they'll be back, but it could be July 28th, depending on how discussions go this week. I, I can't... So, again, we're talking about playing... Yeah, that least, might not necessarily be with fans, just to yeah, say, it, it, but... there's no way There's no way it will be with fans yet, right? Because that's, that's, like, what, step four or September 1st, right? Yeah. There's, there's having a lot of discussion still with government agencies and various things as to what might happen. But there is a chance July 28th could be at BC Place. And just to be clear, there's no renovations... <laughs> 
<laughs> there's no renovations, which Bob Williams, an American journalist, had tweeted out saying he'd been told by a source that's why they couldn't come back. And it's like, uh, BC Place are like, no, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's no renovations at all. It's just because the Whitecaps had to commit in May to a certain time, and they did that, and that, that's fair enough. Oh, yeah, and I don't think anyone can fault them for that. No, like, I not at all. It, it, it seems like they made the decision they had to at the time. Yeah. And now they're trying to do what they now, now they're trying to do what they can to get to play in Vancouver as quickly as possible. And then obviously they want to do that with fans as quickly as possible because that's in, important to the whole setup. Very much so. But two teams did come back to play in Canada this weekend, Toronto and Montreal. We're going to talk about them and have a look around the rest of the MLS action this weekend after this. Hello, I'm Nick Datsvich. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. What's, What's for lunch, lunch ma'am? Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song from 1979 by English punk band The Shapes. What's for lunch, Mum? Not beans again. We have played that as part of an accidental feature we had when I spoke to Felipe and he told me what he had for lunch, which wasn't what I was actually asking him, but I like that song, but that isn't why I've played it. Heinz Beans, you guys have it over here. Now, the big slogan for Heinz Beans in the UK when I was a kid was Beans, Means, Heinz. Is that what you had here? Was that your slogan for Heinz Beans? I don't remember. I don't recall a slogan for Heinz Uh, Well, I always think when I hear Beans, it's like Beans, Means, Heinz, or Heinza. Gabriela Heinze, Atlanta United's former manager. We'll be talking about him in this part, but we'll, we'll build up to that. We are going to start off, though, in our MLS Weekend Review in the Eastern Conference, continuing our talk about the Canadian clubs coming home, because TFC and Montreal both back playing in Canada this weekend. It was wonderful to see, but my question to you guys is, there was a lot of confusion in the build-up to this, as to whether it actually had government approval or not, had they jumped the gun 
I kind of feel that both teams decided, you know what, screw this, we are fed up being pissed about, we are going to force MLS's hand, fly back, and if they don't let us play the games there, it's not our problem, MLS need to sort this out. That's how it came across to me, Steve, and in the end, for their next two games at least, because it's not still confirmed that it's for the rest of the year, they've got an exception to play for the next two home games. But it does certainly feel like they've they've tried to force their hand in this. Yeah, they did. But there are other teams that uh, were given the green light too. Yeah. I know the, the Toronto Blue Jays have have given the green light in Toronto. Yep, they've got their exem- exemption now. Obviously, Montreal got it for their the Stanley Cup final uh, when they were playing a team for Vegas. Uh, no, Vegas. Who did they play? Oh, Tampa Bay. Um, so um, there have been exceptions made. So I think that while they the, you know, technically, they might have jumped the gun. I think I think they're probably not going to be sent back to, you know, Miami or Orlando, wherever they were. No, I, th- I think it would be outrage now if they were sent back. Now, the, with, with TFC, Zach, they, well, both TFC and Montreal had limited supporters in attendance. And for TFC, they invited a lot of healthcare workers, various things like that. But TFC also gave the season ticket holders that attended free drink vouchers and they gave them free parking which I tweeted out that's something that the Whitecaps should look at and I know it's a bit different because the Whitecaps obviously don't own the stadium and they don't own the parking a lot around the stadium Toronto doesn't either I thought MLSE owned BO Uh, do they? I thought it was hmm. I'll look that up Hmm. Yeah, it's the national stadium. It's on the oh, it's on the exhibition lands, but yeah, they definitely don't own the land. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. I mean, with the Whitecaps, obviously they don't own BC Place and they don't own all the parking lots around it. It would cost them to do it, but I think it would be a nice touch considering they've held on to everyone's money for two years for season tickets. To I mean, free parking would be great. And the reason I say that is it would mean people wouldn't have to get public transport. So safety-wise, even if it's like half-price parking, encourage people to drive in their own vehicles as opposed to getting public transport and then going into the stadium would be nice. Free food and drink vouchers, I I think, would be nice as well. Now, you're laughing. A lot of the comments Mm -hmm. I got on Twitter were like, yeah, that's not going to happen with this ownership group. I'm just saying... It would be a nice thing to do, Steve. I feel like this is a moment where you need to insert the um, the Admiral Akbar. It's a tra- it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't go in a front office rant. But would it not be a nice thing to do, Michael? I think that would be a very nice thing to do, and I'm sure the Vancouver Whitecaps are planning and looking at different options to do all they can to um, express their appreciation for their season ticket holders to return to games as soon as they feel comfortable and as soon as they're allowed. Um, what that will look like, I have no idea. Uh, hey. I, mean, I mean, you're right. The park, the parking thing is is a bit is a bit crazy around BC Place, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the smaller areas like are gone because of the that you know casino and oh, yeah. you know there's there's very limited stuff there. But I mean, sure they could do that kind of stuff. They've had they've had in the past they've had. You could set up a year-long or season-long parking pass with your season ticket. Yes, they, they have connections. They have ways that they could do that, but it does. Re- it would require, I'd imagine, a lot of logistical work, especially if the return to the stadium and the return to people coming to games is kind of in flux or yeah. not not solidified yet. Because I think 
I think I could see them saying, hey, we can't spend energy on that extra stuff right now until we know, till there's a, a you know, a, an absolute around a date kind of thing. So I, I don't know, people maybe, I, people probably shouldn't expect too much on that front, like just in general, this is not a knock against the Whitecaps because I, there are a lot of moving parts and until... Yeah things get into place you can't deal with other issues and so i think they need to they're dealing with the knowing when they can return knowing they can play knowing how many people all that kind of stuff and once that's in place they'll probably look at the kind of things you're talking about you you can't knock them that much look look people who are founding members of the, the white caps too got certificates so you know they did do a lot for those people so i don't forget the waterfront stadium people that put their deposit down yeah oh no they lost that money Let's look at their action on the pitch. It was a one-all draw with Orlando. And a who got the goal for TFC? The Josie prodigal Altidore. son. Prodigal yeah, son. prodigal son kissing the badge. And then yeah. saying afterwards, the real fans know like what it means to play for this club or something and who the people are that love well, you this can't, club. You can't blame Chris Armas. He never got to coach a game in Toronto. Exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe those Zach, he kind of set the tone for you. Fall out with your one of your your designated yeah. players or star players, yeah. and that's the end of you. Yeah, totally. I mean, that you saw that play out twice in a, in the space of what a week or mm. week and a half or two weeks or whatever uh, with you know Toronto and then Atlanta. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Josie. When you talk to people from Toronto, Josie is a unique personality to begin with. And I can imagine yeah. that he's not easy to, uh, you know, manage, to work with, to get the best out of. I'm, I'm sure he's the, from what I've heard, he's the kind of person maybe you can't always, you know, you, you can't always expect the same results from him using the same methods and the same, you know, that's that's the kind of vibe I get when I listen to people from Toronto talk about him and, and what it is to work with him. But obviously he's extremely talented. Uh, and and a yeah. beast, a beast in MLS. Love him or loathe him, he knows how to score a goal. Oh yeah, and, and he, it took, was, he it took it well. It and a great header. Yeah, it was great that Orlando came back. I was happy with that. Of course, the the batshit crazy match of the weekend took place in Montreal. It's like welcome back to Montreal. The fans were certainly in a welcoming mood. I don't know if you you saw from the highlights. They had a Gilmore out sign. And another banner that was saying that they'll be impact forever. So it's like they they made their initial mark well, as they I got mean, back. But fair was... play to Montreal for allowing that and not taking it down. Touche, Michael. That is a very important thing uh, to note. Uh, but I mean, that was expected. I, I felt that it was even maybe on the mild side. Like I think mm. I think you're gonna like that's gonna happen like ongoing. Like oh, that's yeah. not, that, that's not gonna be a oh they came back they had the one game they let them they express themselves. They'll move on. They're, they're not going to move on. But Steve, if someone said to you going into this weekend, FC Cincinnati scored four goals and they still lost, you I would believe have believed it. them. You would have believed I would have, I would have believed it. It's Cincinnati. You would have believed that they would have scored four to begin with? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. But I'm saying if I was told that they scored four and they still lost, I would have believed that. Yeah. The, yeah, the way that their luck's gone in, in MLS. What a crazy game. Five it was, four it to was Montreal. In, it was insane. That game. It was because Cincinnati were two goals up by the 14th minute. The second of which was an absolute howler on the part of Montreal keeper James Pantemis. Yeah, I felt one of so the many goalkeeper howlers this year. It yeah, seems I, to be the year of it. 
I felt so bad for him. Ah, oh, his yeah. defender didn't put him in a great spot, but he made no. it work. Although, to be fair, Cincinnati keeper then had a bit of a hyler himself. At least he's not the 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 worst goalkeeping error of a goalie beast out of Montreal or born in Montreal. No, that would be the trend. I think. Yes, <laughs> poor guy. He he's not with Haiti just now, is he? No, I don't. Think no, he <laughs> he'll never be with them again. They were so desperate they went to Big Beach. Big Beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, Montreal tied it up to make it 2 all, but then Cincinnati took the lead again. Just before half time, they made it 3 2. Just after half time, they made it 4 2. And then Montreal, three goals in the last 17 minutes. A couple from Hamdi, including the 87th minute winner. What a fantastic game. That, that was entertaining. There were some posts and crossbars. Oh, well, yeah, it could have oh, been yeah. about 8-7 or 9-8. It's like yeah. the amount of chances that they had. That could have been the highest ever scoring game in MLS. But that win moved Montreal up to joint third, technically fourth. Five points off first place. They are playing some nice stuff under Wilfried Nancy, building on what obviously Thierry Henry built there as well. But... They've been a fun team to watch and they've actually got me kind of rooting for them a little bit, which I never thought would ever happen with our history with Montreal in the past. But of course, they're not the impact anymore. So so <laughs> that that is why. It's a different Montreal side. Individual performance of the weekend, though, I think had to go to Hani Mukhtar oh, yeah. from Nashville, who scored a six-minute hat-trick in the opening 16 minutes as Nashville trounced 10-man Chicago 5-1. Talk about gifts, that opening goal. Oh, Yeah, but then he had a couple of crackers to make yes. up for it, though. Yeah, I mean, his free kick was amazing. Yeah. New York Red Bulls in Miami was postponed due to the weather. And the only yep. other game in the East I want to talk about, which we're going to focus on for a little bit, New England, still out on top in the East, their four-point lead over Philly. 1-0 win at Atlanta. The fans booed Atlanta off the pitch, which I thought Atlanta had a pretty good game. I, I, I watched that when that was one of the games that was on TSN. The, the pressure was mounting on Gabriel Heinze coming out of that, mainly because him and Joseph Martinez had fallen out. Martinez was training on his own. Was it Armis and Outdoor all over again? Possibly, because he got fired this morning after quite a bizarre post-game press conference that, that he gave after that loss, where he, he basically said that Atlanta United club president Darren Eels and vice president and technical director Carlos Bocanegra, he didn't need their approval. And everything was fine with them anyway. They, they backed him. They were totally on board with him. And actually, Darren Eels, just two weeks ago, had said he was firmly backing Heinze and he got fired this morning. It, that's the classic thing, though, right? When the board comes out and backs the manager. It it was a weird situation. Before we get too much more into it, I want to play some audio. It's about six minutes long. I, I had to jump on their, their press conference. And I wasn't going to ask a question. And then I decided I did. But I was too late to get my hand up and we ran out of time before we got to my question. But my question is basically going to be, You've never appointed an MLS experienced coach. Is that something that might help with you maintaining some of these coaches? Because the last two appointments have not been great. But anyway, let's hear a little bit of audio just now from Atlanta United club president Darren Eels 
and Vice President and Technical Director, Carlos Bocanegra. So since we launched Atlanta United, our collective expectation has been to be a model franchise in how we operate and play, not only in MLS, but in global soccer. We're a club that strives to serve our fans, our players, our city and our staff the way an elite club should. So today, based on a variety of issues relating to the day-to-day leadership of the team, we made the decision to relieve Gabby of his duties. And Carlos and I made that decision on the best interests of the club. Um, from here, we'd like to fill that vacancy as soon as possible. I'm going to do our due diligence to find the right fit. And we're focused on finding quickly a leader who is not only committed to high competitive standard, but importantly, is also a cultural fit and embodies who we are as a club. So we're looking forward and we're investing in a successful rest of the season and competing to make the playoffs. <clears throat> yeah, as Darren said, there are a variety of issues that led us to this decision. And out of respect for Gabby, we're not going to air everything out. We had a number of concerning issues um, brought over the last few months and our process of evaluating some of them uh, brought us to this decision today. Uh, at the end of the day, it was clear this decision needed to be made because it's in the best interest of our players and the club. Darren and I are on the same page. We're going to be sorting Rob Valentino uh, into as an interim head coach. And like Darren said, looking to bring someone else in uh, quickly. We've got a strong balanced squad. Um, Got guys returned from injury. We have guys come back from international duty. We're going to be looking to add a starting caliber player here in the international transfer window. We've got 21 games left, two-thirds of the season. We're confident we can move forward and uh, with our goal of making the playoffs. Uh, did this come down to the seeming feud between Heinze and Joseph Martinez? And did the grievances filed by the MLSPA uh, play a significant part in this decision? Hi, Doug. Yeah, so firstly, uh, as far as Joseph's concerned, that didn't play a factor in our decision. So just quickly on the Joseph issue that, you know, you're all being sort of reading about. I mean, that was, uh, you know, two big personalities. You get that in soccer. You get that where personalities will clash. Um, Joseph and Gabby had a chat yesterday. They were actually training today. Gabby, um, Joseph was doing full training today here at the training ground. So, you know, that was not something to do with the decision we made. Obviously, the timings overlapped, but that wasn't a factor. Doug, on the second part, um, that's just something we can't comment on now, but you know, obviously that's something you can ask the, the league or the union. Darren, um, you know, you've spoken even ever since you know Tato was hired and, and Frank DeBoer as well, and, and when Gabby was hired, about the cultural fit that those coaches had within the club. You've had to dismiss the last two coaches um, that you felt fit within this culture. So my question is, what is, what is the right fit? Um, and, and what is the culture of this club from a sporting perspective um, moving forward in order to find the right coach at the right time? Yeah, hi, Felipe. Great question. I think, look, um, when I speak about the, the right person for the job, I think it's, um, you know, we've got a number of stakeholders. So obviously, performance on the pitch is paramount. You know, you, in the game of soccer, it's about what happens on the grass and, and the results you get. But we've got many more stakeholders than that. You know, our fans, it's unbelievable, our fans. And, you know, right from day one, we've had their support. We've been so fortunate to have such an avid and huge fan base. You know, we're top 15 in the world on average crowds. So, you know, the fans are important. It's how we built the club in, you know, the way that we identify with the fans. Uh, with the media, with you guys, you know, we're in, you know, not only us, but every club in MLS, we're about trying to build the league 
So we're pioneers in that respect. So you guys are important stakeholders. The players themselves, you know, they're out there battling. You know, it's important that aspect. Our staff, you know, there's an expectation in terms of when you're at Atlanta United, how you sort of act with core values. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think, and again, to separate, and you know, we, we're worried, Felipe, and concerned, obviously, about on the pitch. That's important for us. We want to compete for trophies. We talk about that. You know, that's what it is to to be Atlanta United, we want to be a team that's competing for trophies, you know, right from the very start. That's what we've set as our aim. But the other thing is, you know, all of those other facts are important. It's about that accessibility um, to the fans, with the media, you know, with the with our staff here. It's about carrying yourself in the right way. There's so many factors that go into it. And look, it's, you know, it's difficult. And, you know, I'm here because, you know, I'm more disappointed than anyone. This has ended a lot shorter than obviously anyone envisaged. And, you know, we have to get the next high right. We know that's important. And look, I know more than anyone that, you know, with Atlanta United, the spotlight burns brighter and hotter because we are a team that has such an avid fan base, that has such a, you know, you guys following us on the media, which is great for the club and great for the league. But with that comes a responsibility. And, you know, we have to get the next high right. That's something that we want to do quickly because this season, we're only, you know, we've still got 21 games to go. We're just over a third of the way through it. You know, we feel like in terms of some of the players we've got coming back, we've got the three guys at the moment that we're honoured that are representing the United States national team. We've obviously got Barco, who's with one of the strongest teams in the Olympic Games out in Japan, representing Argentina. We've got a number of players, whether it's Sosa with injury, obviously Joseph, um, players coming back from injury. So we've got a number of, you know, starters coming back. Uh, we're going to look to be aggressive in this window and bring in a, another starter that can be a difference maker. So we feel really good about the outcome. But again, I know that, you know, we have a responsibility now to get this next high right. And it's going to be really important that we do our due diligence and that we get someone that is, you know, understands that when you're working uh, for Atlanta United, you know, there's a number of boxes to tick. You keep talking about due diligence and to what degree, you know, looking back on the hiring of Gabrielle, I mean, to what degree did that due diligence maybe have some some flaws in the process? And were you surprised by anything that Gabrielle did after he arrived? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, again, you know, always when, when these things happen, you've got to sort of sit back, reflect and learn from them. I think, you know, that's like anything in life. Um, and no one has sort of, you know, hindsight, you know, his 2020, as they say. I think, look, the reality is, um, and this happens throughout the world of sports, there'll be sometimes, you know, Managers will fit at certain clubs, then they'll not fit at other clubs. And sometimes you're just not going to know that till they're actually in the job. Uh, obviously, our job for the next hire is to try and de-risk that process as much as we can. But again, till someone's in the building, it's very hard, you know, to to know whether or not things are going to fit. And uh, yeah, that that is, you know, what we're going to try and do on the next hire to be sure that we we make sure we do our due diligence. I think I finally found my answer. Gonna get myself a girlfriend from Atlanta. So the thoughts of Atlanta bigwigs there, the firing of Gabriella Heinze. Now an interesting thing that came out of that guys was Heinze had been reported to the MLSPA because of a number of incidents at training with players this year. Now, I mean, f fair play to, to Eos and Bocanegra there. They didn't want to badmouth them. They didn't throw them under the bus. It wasn't an Alan Koch at Cincinnati job where it was like, 
culture was mentioned about 18 times. It was mentioned a couple of times, but they, they didn't want to badmouth him because they said, look, he's gone. There's no point getting into it. But they said it wasn't solely because of the Martinez issue. It wasn't because of the MLSPA issue. There had been a number of incidents this season that made them doubt the appointment. Then it was kind of raised that he had been known in South America to be very prickly, quite aloof with media, anyone that wasn't basically a player. It does raise the question, Steve, where was the vetting process in this? They talked about due diligence. It didn't seem to be there. Yeah, it's it seems like um, Atlanta just seems to be going over the biggest name they can get. Yeah, the, and they started the with a high, and it was yeah. he won an MLS Cup. Tough act to follow. Yeah, and I think they just kept going with that because it worked the first time. And I, 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 it doesn't seem like they are doing that much vetting when it comes to the coaching and trying to find the right coach for the players they have, especially yep. uh, uh, De Boer. That that seemed like a really bad hire. And, that that uh, was a the, bizarre one. Although so, like, they're pointing out that both him and Martinez are in the top 10 records for all-time MLS coaches. And it's like, um, you're kind of clutching at straws a little bit there. It clearly did not end well. Yeah, no, I, I, I think they did. I think I agree with you. That would have been a really good question to ask about the um, um, uh, getting somebody with, yeah. with MLS experience. Yeah, I think that's, that's something they need. I want uh, to word it in a way of like, you've gone for names. Like yeah. big names in the international game, is that what you feel you have to do again? Yeah, and I think that that's might be their next wise move. I'm, I'm not bothered if they do it or they don't do it, but um, for them, it, it might be their best thing because really, the I don't think they need to sell the game that much uh, because people are showing up. So I think they really need to get the right hire if they want to do well going forward. Well, I mean, they've talked, Zach. They want an appointment quickly but they want to make sure it's the right guy that fits in the culture that they're trying to build at the club. That, like, you're in the middle of your season. Europe's just about to start if you're looking at a European coach. It's a tough order to get exactly what they want in a short period of time. Yeah, the the available list, so the list of available managers is not that great at this moment in time. You're right, because all the uh, all the all the coaches for Europe are in preseason right now. They're getting, they're getting ready for their 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 season. I don't think there's too many uh, too many. I'll, of I'll tell you the name that's jumped out at me, and I haven't seen this on Twitter, so I don't know if anyone's talking about this. But it's like it's a name. He's coached in the Premiership and he's got MLS experience, and that's Frank Lampard. Hmm. I don't know if that would fit with the players that they have there, but Darnells is English. Bocanegra played a lot of time over in the UK. Yeah, yeah, and he's he he fills that name recognition that yeah. they seem to long for. And he and he is an attacking player, so it could be something that yeah. Benefits but but is he the most attacking coach? No, I don't know if he was, but yeah, I mean, Atlanta is this. You're right, Michael. It's hard when it's it's great when you go out and you win early, but then it creates problems. And see, Atlanta, unlike other teams in their kind of expansion era, like Minnesota or whoever, they decided to take the bulls by the horns. They said, look, we get all this extra allocation money as an expansion team. Our owner's willing to spend a lot of money on transfer fees and a yeah, lot of money won't. on wages. So let's go out and let's let's hit the ground running. The 
problem is the gam dries up after the, that expansion gam slowly decreases decrescendos over i think it's three a three-year period and then you're playing on more of a an even playing field with the others with the other 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 clubs and I, they they they're, they're spending uh as i it feels like it just decreased a, at least a little bit or at least when it comes to transfers mm. and they haven't brought in the same quality of players and as you and see boach has mentioned they they're definitely the quality of coach has yeah. been decreasing. Well, and Joseph so, Martinez as well has said this is going to be his last season in Atlanta, but yeah. then he might change his mind depending on who comes in. It's a demanding ownership and it's a demanding fan base, which is it's nice, like as folk in Vancouver, it's nice to have that. But when you start so high, it is almost impossible to keep that going. And like, like just to bring Bayern into it, Bayern had a pretty good season last season, but it wasn't as great as the one before. So it kind of feels like a little bit of a, a letdown because you yeah. didn't win six trophies. You only won, what, three? Well, it depends on where you put the World Club Cup. But yeah, yeah we, was, that's we, we what won, I was thinking. We won the, we won the German League. So It cost, it cost the coach the job. There, yeah, it did. You said you weren't going to make that joke again, Steve. Yes, yeah, Steve. You, got, you, you set tape. me up. You're, you set you, me up for I know, it. You're, it's a trap. You're a man of your word, Steve. What happened? I'm setting well, you both up on this show. It's funny. I literally got a text tonight from, from a Bayern friend who said, I'm really worried. I think we might not win any trophies this year. <laughs> I'm really worried these five's going to get relegated. But let's not get into that. Let's move to the Western Conference now. Three teams didn't play this weekend. Sporting Kansas City, Austin, Houston. Well, well Austin kind of played midweek. but What did you do with no Johnny Russell to watch? I, I, I've got posters on my wall. They're laminated now. It uh, made it easier than having to keep buying them. But let's start off with Colorado, San Jose. We'll just rattle through these games. 1-1. Lopez gave the Quakes an 11th minute lead. It was a nice finish from the edge of the box. San Jose then started to time waste. Because I've watched a bit of this game before the Whitecaps game. They were time wasting in the first half. And they were getting cautioned by the referee, like verbally, and the commentators were losing it, going, this is ridiculous, you're in the first half of a game. Obviously didn't do it well enough, because Colorado tied things up, Cole Bassett, 53rd minute. It wasn't a very exciting game, but there was an interesting talking point, in which Matias Almeida, San Jose's coach, his translator, or coaching communicator, as to give him his formal title, was sent off in the 69th minute, Steve. Nice. 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 I, I don't know what he said to the fourth official, if he was and just like relaying a message from Almeida. Almeida exactly. says, you're absolutely useless, you dick. It's like, hey, this guy's got to go, the fourth official said. <laughs> Pretty much this exact words from reading his lips. It kind of reminded me when uh, at Starfire years ago when uh, we almost got the coach in trouble. Yes, uh, the Red Sea coach. When we were seeing stuff, and the referee thought the coach was saying it, and but luckily we never got sent off, so it's fine. Yeah, I do remember seeing a translator getting sent off before, and I was racking my brains what that took place in. But it's... might not it might not have been a translator. It might have been like a coaching staff or or a medical staff or something like that. But I, I do definitely remember it. something weird. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was that was a draw, which was good from a Whitecaps point of view. Now. Aside from the Montreal game, for me, the most entertaining game of the weekend, LAFC 2, RSL 1. 
this was a fantastic game. If you're only going to watch a couple of highlights this weekend of MLS, check out the Montreal game. Check out this one. Diego Rossi fired LAFC into a 10th minute lead. Lovely 1-2 with Sofuentes. Aaron Herrera then tied things up for RSL eight minutes later on a quick counter. And this is what I said in the last part. This is the blueprint for what the Whitecaps need to do against this LAFC side. It was a corner for LAFC. And then RSL just took it forward. Brilliant, quick counter. LAFC had committed too many folk forward and it was one all back of the net. Great play from RSL. Carlos Vela hit the post with a spectacular shot in the 36th minute. He was involved in a lot of the action. LA got a penalty just before the hour mark. That was harsh. That was harsh. It hit his shoulder for me. That was the the Raheem uh, Edwards. Yeah. Yeah, shot, yeah. I, I was I was on Herrera as well. The, they called it a handball or something. Yeah. Like that. Even if he hit his hand, it wasn't. It was something that he was turning away from. He was turning was away, he? and it looked like his shoulder. I yeah. was. I just thought that was so so harsh. But Vela's spot kick, brilliantly saved from David Ochoa. And I definitely hit the hand. Yes, that was a that was a world class save. Uh, the commentators had said, "Oh, America's future, David Ochoa." There, I'm thinking. I don't count on that too much. I could see Mexico poaching him. He has been tweeting some Mexican stuff this week, apparently. So They do like keepers named Ochoa. Mm. Vela, though, hit an amazing winner from a really tight angle. He had no right to score from there, really. 11 minutes to go. The commentator either had a hernia or an orgasm, possibly both. He just... I was, yeah. I was worried for him. But the the LAFC commentators are always like that. Yeah. They're they're even if it's a uh, not even a spectacular goal, they go crazy for it. Villa also had time to hit the post late on, but that was a great game. Check that one out. Yeah. Portland won Dallas nil. Not as great a game. It was surprisingly more even than I was expecting. I thought I thought Dallas played better. Yeah, Dallas, yeah. Dallas Very should have scored at least one goal in this game. Well, Pepe yeah. hit the bar in the first half. Um, and they hit the post. I, I must, must have missed that well. one. But Timber's got a minute in the a winner in the eighty fourth minute. Abel Bisi. Yeah. Nice shot. Yeah. He ran on a through ball. You thought he's gonna pass to Valeri, did it all by himself, got the winner. A draw in that would have been good for the White Caps. We'd still have leaped from them above Dallas, but I will. You kinda want to keep Portland away from the wins, because that's one of the teams that the Caps are chasing just now. Yes, I still harbour playoff hopes. And then the last game in the West was today, the only game on Sunday. Minnesota won, Seattle nil. Seattle's unbeaten record has gone, Steve. Let's Flou- just have a, a minute's silence for that. Flounders floundering. Yes. It, it was a fairly entertaining game, really. Minnesota dominated early, but then Seattle kind of took over towards the end of the first half and at the second they got a goal called back rightly for offside uh, Minnesota had a penalty shout just before they scored that I think was a penalty but they kept the pressure on then the ball came in Robert Lode fired them ahead if that was a penalty should VAR not have called it back and given the penalty not sure a very good point, but I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they didn't think it was a clear and obvious penalty, but it was a push in the back. I think it should have been a penalty. But that was the match winner. Seattle's first loss of the season. 
It leaves the West with Seattle still out on top. They're three points clear of KC, but KC have a game in hand. Galaxy third. Colorado keeping going in fourth. Quite impressed with how the Rapids have done. LAFC in fifth. Then a three-point gap to Minnesota, 18 points. And sixth, then Portland, seventh on 15. Like I said, right now it looks like the Whitecaps are kind of fighting for a sixth or seventh place unless they go in a, in a pretty good run. But a lot of games coming this week. There's a lot of games coming up in the in the the next few weeks. It's going to be interesting to see what this standings look like even by the end of July, I think. Colorado, though, I think have impressed me most so far as the kind of surprise package. Anyway. Yeah, they they have a uh, week to week. They haven't really faltered that much. Yeah, the addition of Barrios has been, I think, huge for them. Yeah, what what I'll get us to do in the next show is let's pick. I know we don't care about the MLS All Star Game, but I got to pick as media my selection, which was nice of them to ask me. So I've come up with my 11. So I'd like you guys to come up with your 11 and we'll talk about it either in the next show or, or the show after. But that is it for our Whitecaps chat. That's it for our MLS chat. We've got one more part to go. Won't be that long, but we're going to turn our attention to the international stage. The Gold Cup is in full flow. Canada are in the quarterfinals, but they didn't get the job done against the US today. We'll be back chatting about that after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson, and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've had a song from 79, we've had a song from 89, so that was a song from 1999. English death metal band Ten Masked Men from London with their cover of Spandau Ballet's Gold. And of course we're playing that because... I know what our listeners want. They want death metal. I think that was what some of the, the messages got I had this week. Anyway, I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, we, we've played that. It turns out they've got a lot of cover versions, so I might play a bit more of them. But I played that one, Gold, because the Gold Cup is in full flow. And today, it was Canada against the USA. At a sold-out stadium in Kansas City, Missouri, which, incidentally, I don't know if you know, it's one of the states that's going through a huge COVID spike right now, and numbers are getting out of control down there. Are you you just talking about the Haiti team, or...? No, sadly. Uh, Missouri is in a bit of a mess. So, 
but always sensible to cram a stadium full of su- supporters in. I always think June, June, something like that. Let's not get derailed. Canada went into this game needing just a point to win the group, having an easier path to the final then, avoiding a potential game against Mexico in the semi-finals. They just had to get a draw, guys. And if you ignore the first 20 seconds, they did. I mean, they, they came out of it. 89 minutes and 40 seconds and stoppage time. Level. We're not going to be talking about queens and kings and stuff again, are we? No. Okay, good. (laughs) But 20 Uh, seconds, 1-0 down, Shaq Moore, Max Crapole must have had flashbacks to being in a Whitecaps kit again. (laughs) Horrible defending. That's true. I I feel like this game uh, was decided in the... In, the, in Canada's the first twenty pre- seconds, no, it was it was no, it was decided in Canada's previous game when they intentionally chose to encourage. Sorry, what I yeah, stack yeah. you to get a second booking and and get a suspension out of the way so we wouldn't have it and for any of the knockout games or going into the knockout games. I feel like that was the, the pivotal thing. I mean, some people might say, "Oh, it's you know when you know not having Davies and David," and that's uh, you know another part of the conversation, I guess, as well. But Estacio, I think, is like so important to Canada's midfield and how the team runs and plays aside from scoring that crazy goal that he scored. Like that's just like icing on the cake, right? Like, but he is yeah, so he, important. He's been the star they, guy. Yeah. How they play in midfield. And, and uh, Samuel Piet, you know, I, who I appreciate did, did a lot of things really well in, in Sunday's game, but he, he also made some errors and he, and he's not, uh, at the level that Estacio is at. Do you feel Max Crippel could have done better on the goal? I, I saw some criticism of that. I I didn't think so, but... It would have been hard from... like That was... A, honestly, the pass across the box was fantastic. Yep. Right on, right where it needed to be. I um, said to Caitlin, as they were breaking on the edge of the box, I said, they're going to score right away here. Yeah, it just had yeah. that feel, that that move that they were doing. Yeah, I, I, for me, the overall, the whole game, I thought, if obviously, if ands and buts, but the, the the first minute really kicked that away. Canada, I thought, outplayed the U.S. for the most part. Maybe the U.S. backed off a little bit uh, because they scored so early. But if if U.S. mentality that this team isn't always is, I think they would have gone after more goals. I don't think they would have been satisfied with just one goal. So I, I do feel like Canada. Um, for the most part, played better than them and, and kind of came into the game and, and were able to take it over eventually. That was they, that, that was the encouraging thing is they kept battling, yeah. right? Like they didn't yeah. stop. Because like, when, when the, that goal went in, it was kind of like, oh no, is this going to be yeah. one of those days? And that's, it, that, should, that should have been called a penalty when uh, Larea was taken down. Oh, I, 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 I don't know because I do think he fouled Zimmerman. Yeah, but that's, of the box. that was just hand touching. The, the 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 main foul was the him taking him down and diving into his legs. I, I, I like think it was, they just copped out and thought, well, there's possibly two. If it, there was definitely a foul in that play, if nothing else, and they give a corner, that was the only baffling thing. Yeah, you mean, but VAR can't go back and give the free kick because that's not what VAR is there to do. So I think that is why. No, but the thing the is, you've seen it so many times where there's a little bit of, you know, tugging or whatever beforehand, but then the main foul when the attacking play comes in, and they call that. 
It's not like it's not something but that Zimmerman oh. was going down because he was tugged. I don't know about that. I think he was. I think he was. He was. Mean, his main focus was to get Larea off his off his legs. And then he got pulled off before halftime. Yes, yeah. he did. But, which no, he no one wants to do. Yeah, he, no. He, I mean, yeah. As a Canadian, I want that to be a penalty. As if I'm trying to take you know take an objective look at it, I can see what Michael's saying and seeing why it wasn't given. Um, and I, I think also this is maybe a moment to talk about all other nations are an extreme disadvantage when every gold cup is in the United States. Oh, totally. Right. I know Canada had totally. one game at BMO, like however many, a couple of gold cups ago or whatever, but like to have the crowd with you, you also have a bit of the referee with you in one sense, you know, like the swaying of the referee sort of un, oh, yeah. you know, subconsciously and all that kind of stuff. Because to me, yeah, like I think it, if that was given as a penalty, I don't think the U.S. It, to me, it's a judgment call. So, Steve, going back to some of our previous discussions, I don't think it was clear and obvious, right? Because I, I think I think it was a judgment call whether or not oh yeah Richie's contact was an actual foul. But I think had it been given as a penalty, I would have been okay with it as well. Again, even well, I would it, certainly have been okay with it. Yeah. Well, but even even if even if it was against the team that I was yeah. wanting to win, right? Like, I could I mean, see the rationale for it. After going down so early, the U.S. had the better of the first half of the first half, but then Canada came into their own far better team in the second half. They dominated the second half, yeah. and. If you look at the the stat, the key stats at the end of the game, they're ahead in everything except the main one, which is goals. Goals. They had more possession. Berhalter said after the match that their game plan was they knew it was horrible conditions and it was so hot and and draining out there that they wanted to score early and then they wanted America wanted to control possession because they wanted to make Canada run about and chase after the ball. But they didn't get to do that. Canada was no. the ones that, that were holding on to the ball. So I don't know if the US tired considerably as well. Canada outshot the US 14-6. They had three shots in goal. US only had one, which was a, their goal that they got. Amazingly, this was a game with a lot of niggles. No bookings. Yeah. No offsides. And only four corners in the whole game. Canada having three of them. It, Bizarre looking at that stat sheet, but I, I think Canada have a lot to take out of this game. There was not much to pick between the two teams, which kind of in some ways makes the nature of the loss, because it was an early goal, all the more disappointing. But there's a lot to build on going into the rest of this tournament. And there's no team in this tournament, I fear, for Canada going up against. Except for the first minute. Yes. It's like the reverse white caps. Um, the, the the one thing I want to mention about the U.S. playing in the Gold Cup, the thing is, is this absolutely does not benefit them for their higher goals. Like playing your these kind of games in U.S. all the time and having that thing doesn't help you in the World Cup. Like it might help them in twenty twenty six, but it will not help them when they have to go abroad and play uh, those international oh, yeah. they, they, because they. That's happened. They, they have this easy, you know, gold cup and everything, and then they go into the World Cup and they're in an environment that they're not used to because they have to play against these teams. And it just doesn't help them. And that's maybe why some of their gold cup, I mean, World Cup qualifications, they're not, they don't work in there too because they don't do well on the road at all. 
that that's very valid. I mean, the, the crowd were great in KC today. And what I liked in particular is they were booing Canadian players and they were they were getting on to Canada. And for me, I like that because that shows they're worried about Canada. There's actually a rivalry now. The, the US-Canada rivalry on the men's side, I think Canadian supporters, we look at it as a big rivalry. The American fans don't care because we've not been competitive with them. We've hardly played them in competitive games in recent years, for one thing. America, their big rival is always going to be Mexico. But slowly, having played these Nations Cup games, having played this, maybe even meet them in the final, who knows? These are two programmes that are at very similar stages of their development. They've got all this exciting young talent coming through. There's a lot of the guys playing against each other week in, week out in MLS. I think it's fantastic to see this rivalry building and I do genuinely think that this is going to be a strong, strong rivalry for the next five years or so. Maybe maybe they're at the same stage of developing their current talent, but I feel like actually the US is ahead of Canada um, uh, because they've been doing it for a longer time. Yeah, they've got a bigger pool. Yeah, and and this for me right now, Canada's on stage two of their ultimate goal. Um, well, US is a far ahead on that. Maybe they're stage four or five. Out yeah, of, they, they've got way bigger depth of, of making the World Cup stuff, like like making to the World Cup. Can, US is bent, bent like in the driver's seat. Canada's still working up to that. So I don't think right now Canada's up to that level right now. But in this tournament, with this the way it's set up right now, I do agree that they can make headway uh, going forward. How many how many pillars are there in stage two? I don't know. The, the thing is, though, Zach, it's like that's a very fair point by Steve. Because right now, we're at, where our program is is we're wanting to qualify for the World Cup. Now I know America went there last time, but most of the time they are. So America's next stage is to actually go deep in the World Cup. So they yeah. are at a different level from us. But yeah, the yeah. rivalry is definitely growing there, and I, I want American fans to hate Canada because that's when you get the real rivalry. Yeah, and I think there's a strong dislike there. Uh, I, I think you see it as, in particular in the, the for the women's games between between the two countries. Um, and I mean, it's been a while, but I think it's there for the men as well. I think the rivalry you guys are talking about is more on the field. I think the the supporters have a strong strong feelings about each other. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see you know where things are at uh, in terms of in terms of the rivalry, in terms of the the, the amount that people care. And, and the players and coaches care and all that kind of stuff. But what CBC was saying at the development, I think that's yeah, that's a fair assessment. Obviously, yeah, the U.S. is like, what, 10 times Canada's size and it has been investing more money for longer and all that kind of stuff, bigger sponsorship and different way, different approach and whatever. So, yeah, so they, they will likely always be ahead of Canada on the developmental side of things. What's exciting about Canada and what we saw glimpses of in, the, I want to say, the Nations League, Um was that Canada can actually compete compete with, and on their day beat the U.S. and yeah. that's yeah. really 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 exciting for those who've been supporting the the Canadian men's national team for a long time. And so, uh, I think the fact that they were this competitive without their number one keeper, or let's say at least debatably or arguably their number one keeper, without yeah. their top two 
you know, they're top two um, attacking talented and dynamic players is really encouraging. Now I know the U.S. is doesn't wasn't their best best players either. Don't get like let's not be you know let's be no. Little, this is their second at least year. Yeah. yeah, but still, um, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time for games between these two countries for sure. I, I've said this before, like in MLS terms, for Seattle to care about the Whitecaps. That's only going to happen when the Whitecaps are regularly beating them, maybe winning trophies. If Canada can start regularly beating the US, then your rivalry is really going to take off. Now, I got a chance after the game today to to speak to both John Herdman and Greg Berhalter, and I asked them both just their thoughts on the, the growing rivalry between these two, two countries. Here's what they told me. I think for for years, although Canadians have seen this as a big rivalry with the US, the US maybe haven't. But you can see today that there's a right niggle out there in the pitch, and it does feel now that the Americans know that they have got a rival just north of the border in Canada. Can you talk a little bit about what you've experienced with that of late? Yeah, I think, you know, it was part of the, the pre-game meeting where we were able to show just a little bit at the end of... Toronto, October 15th, 2019. But we, we were able just to show some pictures of the US players' faces and just the, the doubt that we know is in their mind now. For 20, you know, or 34 years, there was never a doubt in their mind they were going to beat Canada. Uh, there was never a doubt in their mind, even if Canada showed up and were gritty and resilient, that they would find a way to win in the final 20 minutes. And we just said, look, you, you earned that right to put that doubt in their minds. So again, if, if tactically we're on the page, if the intensity's there, always in the back of the mind, they know Canada can win this match. And, you know, while the US won tonight, I thought they were dominant in the first 25 minutes. I've got to take my hat off to Greg he, and the, their team. They, they earned that first, first goal and they earned, you know, the first 25 minutes of the game. But I think from then, uh, Canada took good control and um, there'll be more doubt, I think, coming into a, hopefully a final match in in Las Vegas if, if both teams can make it. Hi, Greg. Uh, for years here in Canada, we've always looked at the US as a big rivalry game. I would say it's probably not been felt the same way down south of the border. Partly that's because the teams haven't played a lot, but you've had a few games now, you've got some more coming. How are you seeing this rivalry developing between these two young teams? I think, I think it's great. I mean, I think there, it's, there's a lot of mutual respect for each other, but then there's also the, you know, the, the tension and um, the competitiveness. And, you know, we're, we're, I said it yesterday, we're two programs in similar positions. A lot of our player pool is a result of, of Major League Soccer um, and the efforts they've done to develop players over the last 10 years. And it's fun. I mean, we're familiar with the team. And, you know, I like it that we go out in the field and we compete. And, and after, um, you know, we're able to talk to each other. I think that's a, a good sign. But I have a lot of respect for the Canadian team. I think it's a good team. And um, I'm excited to see what they do in qualifying. John Herdman and Greg Berhalter are there just talking about the Canada-US rivalry. Maybe they'll meet in the final. 
Let's keep our fingers crossed for that. Actually, let's not. Let's just hope Canada get to the final and we play somebody else that's not the US. But next up, it's a quarterfinal match next Sunday. And it's going to be against the, the Group C winner. So either Jamaica or Costa Rica. Now, if they get this on their own accord, I think both are very winnable games. Both teams are tied in six points just now. Jamaica beat Suriname and Guadeloupe. Costa Rica beat Guadeloupe 3-1, Suriname 2-1. So they're topping on goal difference. They basically just need a point from their meeting to, to top the group. And then they'll it'll be Costa Rica-Canada. I think I'd probably prefer Costa Rica, which is a weird thing to say. I think Jamaica might be the, the tougher tougher game for them. Costa Rica look a shadow of their former selves and they actually fell behind to Suriname, a team Canada hammered. So those two teams meet on Orlando on Tuesday. The winner of that will face Canada next Sunday, 4pm, Arlington, Texas. Do you fear anything from either of those two teams? Or do you, do you think no matter who Canada get, we've got a, a semi-final berth? Not wrapped up, but no, in, I don't in see a ever- grasp. Yeah, they're definitely competitive against both teams. They're they're capable of beating both of them, um, but it's just a matter of to see like what those teams are like because they might have suspensions and stuff like that too. We'll see what comes there. But overall, they they are capable of beating either one because I don't think Costa Rica came with their top team either. So and I they've always they, got Kendall Waston in the back. So I mean, that's always a a great chance for a couple of goals for for Canada. So, Zach, yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely a chance. The thing is, if they get through that quarterfinal, they'll probably play Mexico in the semi-finals. Now, Mexico have not looked great. Drew with Trinidad and Tobago, two countries admittedly, but and it was a tough, tough haul playing against 22 players. But today, they just squeezed past El Salvador 1-0. Yeah, not a great game. No, I, Mexico, and- nothing to fear from them. They will have the crowd, obviously, behind them, unless they all get banned for, for yelling abusive chants again. Um, the one thing about these Gold Cup games, though, there is no point of them playing back to like the games at the same time, because the top two games, the top two spots have been wrapped up for each of the groups. Yeah, uh, there's no chance for the third or fourth place has been wrapped up. So, really playing these at the same time is just completely useless. Which tells again to the Gold Cup of that it's too far apart the teams in here. Like uh, It was a nightmare for one soccer. That's like a, the CPL games were on at the same time as well. They didn't have enough channels to, to show everything. At least the cameras haven't broken down again and we don't have to watch the last 15 minutes on a spider cam. That was bizarre the other night. <laughs> anyway, that's our Gold Cup chat. Good luck to Canada. We'll be back chatting about them in next Sunday's show. We nearly finished this show. We hope to bring out a midweek show to, to cover the, the Houston game and a bit of CPL stuff, but we'll wrap up this episode with this week's Wavelength. And it's a song from 2014. It's a band we played a, a few weeks back. We played their song about Kevin Kilban, which was ironic because when I played that, I didn't know he was going to be the TSN panellist in the studio for their, their Euro coverage, so that, that was a weird coincidence. But it's a band called My Brother Woody, Originally from Dublin, now based out of Berlin in Germany, this is a song from their 2014 football-themed album, Random Football Musings, set to music. This is Don't Read the Chat Boxes, Beside Football Streams. 
Hi brother Woody there, don't read the chat boxes beside football streams, you can get that and everything else from their album Random Football Musing set to music on Bandcamp, on Amazon Music and on iTunes as well, so check them out. But that is it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show, just before we go, some final thoughts from you guys, anything you've learned from the this, this show today and where people can find you online Steve? Uh uh, Steve Hander, you can find me at, at Whitecap Speed on Twitter. And what I learned this weekend is between the 30 minute, 42 second, and 31, 12 second mark of the first half of the Whitecaps game, referee Ishmir Peshmik tweeted his whistle 22 times. And that's something you can't find on notifications. Nice to see Steve paying attention. He does pay attention, he got a little bit of criticism from a, a couple of people because he said he hadn't been paying attention to the game. He was paying attention to the game. It was a joke. Yes. I will LO, I will LOL next time. Just yes. Something like that. We, we need emojis in the, in the podcast. Zach, anything you want to say? Uh, no, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM, uh, Ale Le Rouge. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Give us a like, a subscribe, and turn on notifications on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. May as well give us a follow on Instagram as well, AFTN Soccer, and leave some nice reviews for us on iTunes, Amazon Music, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. I, I learn so much from doing these shows that it's it's just hard to kind of sum it up in a in a nutshell. But I I think I learned that I enjoyed watching the game on Fox Soccer today. Even I had American commentators. Ooh. It was nice to see it on cable TV and uh, a stream I, that I didn't have to refresh. I agree with you. It was nice to watch it on TV. Uh, I, I didn't message you guys this, but I was going to message like these these commentators are. Equally unbearable. Well, I, I'm just enjoying my time in Iceland during the games. 
Oh, can you bring us back some pickled herring? I'll try. I'll look for it next time. Awesome. You'll you'll have two weeks quarantine when you get back. I hope it doesn't go off by that time. Maybe maybe get it on ice. Don't get it fresh. <laughs> but that is it for this week's AFT and Soccer Show. Well, I say this week's. It's this episode. We hope to be back midweek with another packed show. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. Allez la rouge and mourn the caps. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>